0: No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
1: Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote. I'm your host, Allison Gill, though most of you remember me as AG. And I have an epic show for you today. I really, really have an epic show for you. First of all, I'm on the road. I'm in Vegas, so if this little echoey in my hotel room. I apologize for that. Just want to let you know that is what the reason is for perhaps an echo or perhaps, you know, maybe you'll hear a air conditioning unit in the background. Um, I have a few stories first, then some sabotage. And I also have an interview with Lincoln's Bible about the new Kremlin papers that were leaked, a story out in The Guardian by Luke Harding, and a very special fantasy indictment league with a very special fantasy indictment league guest. Um, During sabotage, I'm going to go through the Barrick indictment page by page with you. If you haven't heard yet, Tom Barrick was indicted and we'll get there. But first, we have some headlines to get to. So let's jump in with just the facts. All right. We have one big fat headline for you today, and it's from The Washington Post. The Justice Department is pushing for rule changes to 6E that would put a 50-year delay on when courts can consider releasing material from federal grand juries. That's according to documents and interviews and uh, they would separately allow gag orders to be applied more broadly to witnesses. While the recommendations were made during the Trump administration, I want to make that clear, that's when these recommendations recommendations were made, President Biden's Justice Department is still seeking the changes, even as critics oppose what they say would be a significant expansion of secrecy around federal courts and investigations. Grand jury secrecy is a cornerstone of American criminal justice. We've talked about the sacrosanct You know, grand jury uh, secrecy rules. Much of what is said in a grand jury, um, this is where citizens guided by a prosecutor consider whether to indict someone for crimes, most of it's never made public. But judges can occasionally rule that some other interest merits the release of grand jury information. This happened in the Watergate case, led to Richard Nixon's resignation as president, and it happened in a special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Donald Trump, when a district court and appellate court found that some grand jury material should be shared with Congress as it prepared for impeachment proceedings. The Justice Department fought all the way to the Supreme Court to keep the Mueller grand jury material under wraps, and then the issue was declared moot after Congress completed impeachment proceedings. But if the proposed rule is enacted, they could push back any revelations about the Mueller grand jury until 2069. And for those of you who have been longtime listeners of Mueller, she wrote, you know I've been worrying about maybe trying to freeze my head and keep it alive so I could live long enough to to hear uh, about the underlying grand jury materials and Mueller investigation documents 2069 is very far away in opposing the release of the Mueller grand jury material justice department lawyers argued that it should be off limits because impeachment did not qualify as a judicial proceeding (laughs) Uh, that's one of the few exceptions to grand jury secrecy by the way The department has suggested that a Watergate-era court ruling was wrong in finding that impeachment proceedings are exempt from grand jury secrecy rules. They should be. Now the Justice Department is pushing to prevent judges from even considering that release of materials, and again, for 50 years. The Rules Committee is part of a lengthy process of considering and finalizing rule changes to 6E that ultimately go through the Supreme Court and then can be altered by Congress if needed. So that's happening right now, and uh, you can... As you can guess, I'm not happy about it. Uh, although Eric Holder proposed a similar rule, but for 30 years, um, I I disagree. I think judges should have discretion uh, to release grand jury materials when it merits, you know, when the merits on other of other interests are considered. And in other news. According to The Guardian, leaked Kremlin documents show Trump was installed by Russia. And joining me right now to discuss that is Lincoln's Bible. But we have to take a quick break. Stay with us.
3: Season two of Swing Left's How We Win is here. We have an incredible opportunity to fight for our democracy. We don't agonize. We organize. And we've got a lot of work to do. Subscribe right now on Apple and everywhere you get your pods for insight, action and your reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson and I'm Mariah Craven and
4: And this this is season two
3: of How We Win.
1: Hey everybody, Uh, welcome back. Uh, I am joined today by the host of the amazing new podcast called The World Beneath. You have to listen to it if you haven't already. It's been recommended by every single amazing person that you love and I love. Please welcome Lincoln's Bible. Hello LB. Hi. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so happy to talk to you. Me too. Um, first of all, great narrative last night. That was awesome. Um, if if you uh, if anybody was able to watch that with the whole um, Tom Barrack stuff, that was very very interesting. Yeah. But what I want to talk to you about today, and what people have been kind of nudging me to talk about, is this amazing reporting in the Guardian by Luke Harding about the Kremlin papers can you tell us what was in these papers
4: uh everything we already knew <laughs> 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 everything you've been telling people for four years um you know basically it was that uh that uh, that Trump was is zoned by the Kremlin and doing their bidding uh, you know it just it was a, a very specific actually to a, a meeting that that looks like it took place in, I believe it was January 2016, um, it, at uh, at the Kremlin with uh, several heads of different, uh, let's just call it security services or agencies within the Kremlin, who would be necessary uh, in terms of organizing uh, what we'll call their troops or their agencies, their personnel and their efforts and their resources uh, towards directing um pretty much a a psyop at the American people in order to facilitate and assist uh, a a win by Donald Trump by our electorate. Um, So uh, this puts into even a a sort of more starker contrast things like why Paul Manafort uh, would have been handing off polling data to Konstantin Kalimnik, whose boss was in this meeting. so, you know, to do what they did, it wasn't just, you know, I know that you have, you know, the, the always full of integrity, Jared Kushner going out there and saying, oh, it was just, you know, a handful of Facebook posts right? <laughs> that, that helped with uh, convincing the American electorate, uh, especially in key districts, to either suppressing the Black vote or suppressing the, the Democratic vote uh, and or showing up, turning out not previous non-voters. Um, or the Republican base, uh, kind of warping their minds to think that this guy was going to be their their golden ticket to I don't know what, uh, whatever they thought he was going to bring for them in back in 2016. Um, to really chaos to, disorder, chaos disorder. You know, sticking it to the libs, to whatever whatever the psychological profile, frankly, that um, that we know Cambridge Analytica and and Facebook were helping scrape and provide for the Kremlin as well. So. Um, you know, this was a very, very coordinated uh, attack on our democratic processes and manipulation of our electorate uh, and our republic, our, our base of, of voters in order to turn out, especially in key districts, the type of turnout that would, would have been required for Donald Trump to win the presidency. Um, and that they that they had the he had the full backing and support of the Russian intelligence services across a spectrum of several different agencies within the Kremlin all at the direct, direction of Vladimir Putin. That's that's basically what came out of that reporting.
1: Yeah, and and also some interesting information on Compromat that we Oh yes, had- I keep forgetting about that. He's so Sorry. compromised. Donald is
4: so compromised <laughs> and he's been so compromised since the 80s that hmm. uh, you know, he's been there he's been in there I called it like a the catalog of fucketeers that the Kremlin, the KGB had, and then the, whoever the, whoever the hell the KGB is now, right? The FSB, the SVR, the GRU, uh, security services. You know, uh, they could just open up their catalog for the 1980s and pluck him out of there and say, "Oh, look, here's this guy that we we owned from way back when," um, and he certainly never curbed his lifestyle or his proclivities or his travels to to Russia, <laughs> staying yeah. in hotels, and and mixing it up with um, with with other folks, uh, Americans and otherwise, um, so you know they, they've had plenty on this guy for for forty some odd years, and and frankly, El Cian, the Cosa and the Genovese crime family had plenty on him from before that, and that was the that was the entry point for the KGB back in um, nineteen eighty two to eighty
1: four. Yeah, so here's the big question, right? Because. Now the Trump Organization, and I tweeted this uh, after the indictment of Weisselberg and the Trump Organization. The Trump Organization is now no longer a Russian money laundromat <laughs> because of this indictment. And yeah. Trump is no longer president. Yeah. So you're an expert. What happens to assets when they're no longer valuable? And does that have anything to do with why this information was leaked?
4: Uh, I, that's a that's a big question. Let's let's walk through it a little bit. Um, he's still valuable to them. Uh, Donald Trump. God only knows how much of our nation's secrets that man laid his eyes on. Whether he can remember it through all the Adderall or not, I, I in the Diet Coke. I'm not sure. Kushner uh, has a binder
1: full. I'm sure Kush,
4: Kushner had access as well. He got his special secret security clearance, double secret, whatever, made up bullshit. Which basically just meant they they as much as they could, which for the president of the United States was not something I think that the intelligence community could thwart. I know there's a lot been a lot of speculation that oh they're keeping things from him. It's like he's the president; <laughs> they're not keeping anything from him. You know, if he wants it, he gets it.
1: So, so could this have uh, been if if the Kremlin leaked this? Could this be a shot across the bow to remind? uh, him, of, okay. of so, what they have and so who he is. I mean, let, it's, it's confusing to me.
4: It's confusing. Let's get into that for a second. So in terms of burning assets, uh, it, it, let's answer that first question. If they're no longer valuable, they're, they're either become like Snowden, they get, uh, brought into an FSB safe house or so, something that, you know, can't they, where they can be controlled and managed on a, on a, uh, you know, hour by minute basis, um, or they're disposed of that's it. Full stop. Number one, number two, and but he's still valuable is what my point is, as long as Donald Trump is breathing based on what he had access to because uh, he was President of the United States because that reporting in the in the Guardian, right that 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 the meeting and subsequent meetings and uh, you know everything that that we know was going on at the Kremlin
1: made sure that he's kind him- of even. He's kind of even more valuable, right? Because he's Correct. in so much debt now. He's in and- so much
4: debt, it's so much trouble and, and right. he had eyes on so many things. And he still has access um, to quite a lot, quite frankly. So um, just in terms of the other individuals that have their tentacles into the world, um, that still may be talking to him or communicating with him. I'm still not clear if we've cleaned up the Pentagon or not. I, I, I'm very skeptical of all that. Okay. So uh, you know, he's still got people in there. We need to get them out of there. Any Trump appointee within from the intelligence community to the Pentagon, they've got to go get them out. Fire hose the place. This is what needs to happen. Okay. That's one thing. Now, your second part of your question was, uh, what could have been happening at the Kremlin to leak this document out of the Kremlin? And, and there's been quite a lot of, uh, you know, explosive reactions of, uh, of Americans and intelligence professionals and, and, you know, that are retired and all kinds of folks of like, oh, this, this yes, okay, maybe this meeting happened, but they'd never leak a document, oh my God. Well, sure they would, right? So here, here are the circumstances under which that might happen. One, it could be coming from uh, Putin himself, right? It could, In terms of it could be what you said, a shot across the bow. Um, or somebody you know that was in the meeting at Putin's direction. And in, in other words, he might not be upset about this is the first thing. The second thing is we do know, and there has been quite substantial reporting since the Chris Steele dossier, quite frankly, the memo, um, that intelligence gathering by Christopher mm-hmm. Steele, and then later by Khodorkovsky in 2018, he went on the record with, I think it was, or 19, with the BBC and, um, and uh, Luke Harding has reported on this before just tremendous amount and, and Yuri uh, Chavetz uh, has been very vocal about this he's former KGB intelligence officer take that with a great assault but everybody's re- I don't think they all have the same source on what I'm about to say this is coming from multiple sources multiple places Danish intelligence was also reporting this out there is strife within the Kremlin within Vladimir Putin and his security services it is not a monolith um, it is not everything is coming up roses over there. And it hasn't been for a while. A big reason for that is, are our sanctions, right? Um, it, it's because the money has been being fucked with and the men, the very powerful men behind Putin uh, do not like that. You, <laughs> They don't like that. It's not working for them. Um, and if he couldn't get this shit fixed with his boy, Trump, then you know they, they want to fix it in some way. There's too much choking of their wallets for them to be happy. That's number Mm -hmm. one. And Putin also, he's not the smartest guy. I know everyone has him as this big arch villain, but for God's sakes, this was a man that when he was in the KGB, they put him in Dresden. You know, he was a mediocre intelligence officer. He was the deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. You know, he did okay for them there. He sort of... He's sort of just the mafia's bitch over there and has been doing their bidding and do okay, but this isn't a genius, okay? Um, and he, and maybe Trump was a big overreach and was a big mistake. It, it, it's So you have someone in there named Patrushev. There's quite a bit at the Kremlin Security Services. There's quite a bit of reporting that there is strife between Patrushev and Putin, that there's strife between Alpha Group and Putin. Uh, that's what was in the Steele Report. That's what Khodorkovsky was saying uh, a couple of years later. So, you know, this also could be about getting rid of fucking Vladimir Putin. Now, the problem with that is the people that would be in place right now to sort of fill the void if Putin was uh, taken care of one way or another, they're more dangerous than him. This isn't a good scenario for us. (laughs) So, um, uh, you know, I just really, the way that we have taken our eyes off of Russia for so long and been so duped by them. I'm just hoping that our foreign relations can get their fucking act together and we can, um, with our policy start, actually doing the kinds of things that we need to be doing with Russia and with the Kremlin specifically. Okay, so that's that. It also could have been leaked by Western intelligence. This could have been something that our own intelligence community had their hands on. There is some reporting and whispers around the fact that yes, this was a known document within Western intelligence before it was published in The
1: Guardian. So, uh, just, And when I, you say Western intelligence, you don't necessarily only mean the United States. Correct. We're talking about Five Eyes, right? That's correct, yeah.
4: And the Danes, and, you know, there's, there's you know, democracies. <laughs> democracies that cooperate and <laughs> collaborate together.
1: Yeah, Yeah. because I can't imagine that all of the oligarchs are happy to be where they are over no. there in Russia. I mean, I remember, you know, they're all under a thumb, and... There has to be infight. I remember when Putin put one in a cage in a court, and you know that was Kodakovsky.
4: That was Khodorkovsky. Yeah. That's what. That's who I was re- referencing um, in that. And that's a. It's an incredible BBC interview he did, and <laughs> everyone should watch it. Um,
1: it it's, a, it's. You could see it on YouTube. I think you can find it. Well, we're gonna have to keep our eye on this, uh, <laughs> and I hope that they're putting. I hope that the um, Avril is putting our, our new dni is putting more resources yes. behind keeping eyes on what russia's doing uh, yes and i, I want to say one other thing hg before uh, before we move on look luke harding
4: is a stellar journalist um he his sources inside uh moscow St. petersburg throughout the oligarchy and and specifically within the uh russian intelligence community are very strong. Um, he's not going to publish something, put his name on it, let alone two other journalists um, sharing the byline with him if they didn't feel like they had vetted this to the nines. So um, I just want everyone to understand that. You're, you're, you're buying into it. If you're buying into the narrative that because the commas were somehow in the wrong place for Russian speakers or some kind of horseshit like that, um, you're, you're really bypassing the biggest, a data point of all, and that is that you're saying that this journalist is either somehow vastly, vastly corrupt or incredibly incompetent. And I'm not in either one of those camps. You, you know, if there's more information that comes out later that moves me into one of those camps, I will let you know. But, you know, just just put your critical thinking skill, cap on for two seconds and understand what it took to publish that, what kind of direct threats he may be under now be, for doing so. And Um, and what he knows about his world. You know, let's stop questioning the people who actually um, know what they're doing. This would be my request.
1: Yeah, um, concur. And that's exactly why I wanted to speak with you about this today. (laughs) So I appreciate your time. Everybody, you can follow uh, Lincoln's Bible at Lincoln's Bible on Twitter. Very, very important follow. And also please check out The World Beneath. Really amazing podcast. Well done, LB. Seriously, incredible. Thank you. Yeah, thank you Uh, so much. All right, everybody, we'll be right back.
0: I'm former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we'll sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figlusi.
3: Homicides, sexual assaults. ...missing persons and unidentified human remains.
0: Somehow a computer could solve crimes.
3: Ninety-three homicides. I,
0: I am one of those guys that I have wanted to be an FBI agent since I was six years old.
3: M.O., his modus operandi. Busting down doors with guns drawn. But I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't much more aware of the guy sitting in a vehicle on the roadside when I'm walking my dog at night.
0: Unsolved cases sitting in evidence rooms on show. They didn't want
3: to have sex with them. They just wanted to kill someone.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for Sabotage. And today for Sabotage, as you probably have heard by now, Tom Barrick has been indicted on seven counts with two of his buddies. And I'm going to go over that indictment real quick here with, well, real quick (laughs) with you. But there's a couple of important points that I want to bring up before we get into that. And the first point is that one of these counts is a a failure to register as a foreign agent. But it's not the typical FARA statute that we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, provision 951, which is called espionage light. Because on the FARA thing, you can get up to five years for just generally lobbying on behalf of a foreign entity. But with espionage light, with section 951, with this particular uh, foreign registration violation, you can face many more years in prison, I think up to 30. And this is what Maria Butina was charged with. It's like being a spy, right? This and, and I guess the main difference here is that instead of just sort of lobbying on behalf of a foreign entity, what you're actually doing is working, you know, congruently and you're in contact with and doing the bidding of a foreign actor. And that's what happened in this particular case. I'd like to bring up that this week we learned that these charges originated with the Mueller investigation. This is one of those 14 redacted Appendix D investigations that he handed off because it was outside his scope. So that's very interesting. That's New York Times reporting that, that he handed this off to the Eastern District of New York. And uh, I also want to bring up some new reporting that we got in, in, regarding these indictments. Apparently, prosecutors had enough to charge Barrick uh, last year. But both Donahue, who's the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of New York, and Bill Barr weren't big on prosecuting foreign lobbying crimes. So some members of Congress have asked this Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, to investigate whether Barr or Donahue actually blocked these charges or whether the prosecutors just knew not to ask these unfriendlies, and sort of sat on it and waited. I think it's the latter. I think they just sort of waited, and I think we're going to see more charges come out from Appendix D now that there's not, you know, a pardon looming possibly or an attorney general who will refuse or disallow you to bring charges. We learned in a similar situation in the Southern District of New York, Rudy Giuliani had a search warrant executed on, on his home and office this April, and they wanted to do it under Jeffrey rosen which who who came after Barr, he was the acting attorney general uh but that was n- either blocked or not allowed um so that's something i mean there's a pattern here, and I'm also wondering if that Rudy Giuliani uh investigation um if you're, well, I should say, if you're wondering if that Rudy Giuliani investigation came from Mueller, I don't think so, because it's specifically about what he was doing in Ukraine. And um, Mueller had wrapped up his investigation by then. So, but it doesn't mean that something he handed off on Rudy didn't lead to that. And we don't know. We don't know the oranges <laughs> of the investigation. Uh, so let's get here to the indictment. Um, the defendants are Al Malik, and Barrick, Thomas Joseph Barrick, and then a guy named Grimes, a United States citizen residing in California. He was employed at Company A, which is which is Barrick's company, reporting to Barrick. So he's his executive assistant. So the government of the United Arab Emirates, hereafter um, the United Arab Emirates, was a foreign government. Emirati official one, an individual whose identity is known to the grand jury, was a member of the leadership of the UAE and held a high-ranking position in its armed forces. I think that that's MBZ. Emirati official two, an individual whose identity is known to the grand jury, was a high-ranking official in UAE with responsibilities related to national security. And my thinking here, and let let me pull up my notes, but I think that Emirati Official 2, and you'll hear me scrolling here because I'm doing this in real time. Could be, let's see, where do we have it listed? Ah, yes, Tanun Bin Zayed. He was the UAE National Security Advisor. And then there is uh, Emirati Official 3, who an individual whose identity is known to the grand jury, member of the UAE Supreme National Security Council. I don't know who that is. And then there's Official 4 and Official 5 as well. Uh, regulations for agents of foreign governments. Then they go through the regulations here, and they define what agent of a foreign government is. And, um, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. You can read that. And, um, section 4 here now, I'm on page uh, 4, says that the defendants' actions in the United States as agents of the United Arab Emirates. These are their actions. The defendants, al-Malik, uh, and Barak and Grimes, acted and aided and abetted, acted and aided and abetted in another in acting. In the United States as agents of the UAE a foreign government, government officials in the UAE, including emirati official one, two, three, four, three four, and five, no excuse three and four, tasked the defendants, tasked them with variously uh, and among other things influencing public opinion, the foreign policy positions of the campaign and the foreign policy positions of the United States government, obtaining information about foreign policy positions related to decision-making within the campaign and, at times, the United States government, developing a back-channel line of communication with the campaign and, at times, officials of the United States government, and developing plans to increase the United Arab Emirates' political influence and promote its foreign policy preferences. And we saw all of that happen. Initial meeting and the energy speech. Uh, In or about May 2016, Tom Barrick took steps to establish himself as a key communications channel for UAE into the campaign. On or about April 24th, Uh, Al-Malik emailed Barak to confirm Barak would meet with Emirati Official 2 on May 1st in the United Arab Emirates. The following day, April 25th, Al-Malik emailed Barak that Emirati Official 2 was very much focusing on building the right relationships to help the country and knows ambassadors can't do much and are limited even if they are active. In his response, Barak wrote that Emirati Official 2 should know that Barak had been a 30-year partner with the candidate and Barak had staffed the campaign. In reply, uh, Al-Malik wrote that Emirati Official 2 and other senior UAE officials wanted a long-term relationship with Barrick, and it would be great to speak freely and suggested strategies to help them with contacts and relationships. Uh, on May 20, May first, 2016, the defendants met with Emirati Official 2 and Emirati, Emirati Official 4 in the UAE, and that same day, Barak emailed Al-Malik to ask whether Emirati Official 2 had been Satisfied with the meeting, replied beyond expectations and excited to move forward and asked for more great ideas. On May 9th, 2016, uh, the defendant, uh, Al-Malik, informed Barrick that Emirati Official 4 had confirmed Barrick would be the only channel to the candidate for the UAE. And I think they mentioned that because it it feels like there there was some competition at the time. And I think that competition was Nader and and Broidy. Right, They were trying to be the, the UAE pivot pers- people. Um, so that's, I think, very interesting. Uh, so there was a little competition going on. But Barrick apparently had been awarded this one and only position. Uh, on May 13, 2016, Barrick emailed uh, Al-Malik a draft speech to be delivered by the candidate about United States energy policy, the energy speech, and asked for feedback. Al-Malik forwarded the email to Emirati official four and then sent an email to Barak proposing language for the draft speech for Trump to give, that's the candidate, and says, this is what I got from them. So their words were installed in this speech. Later that day, Barak emailed Al-Malik and revised the the draft of the, a revised draft of the energy speech that praised Emirati official one by name. They loved it so much, they said. This is great. Barrick further advised Al-Malik that the revised draft of the energy speech was totally confidential, writing that he would deliver the revised draft to the campaign the following day and highlighting the reference to Emirati Official 1, who is MBS, right? No, MBZ. Now, on or about May 17th, the defendant, Al-Malik, sent a text message to Matthew Grimes, stating he was excited for the speech, this will be huge, and further wrote that he and other UAE officials would arrange another meeting for Barrack and Emirati Official 2, and that the energy speech would make us heroes. On May 18th, Al-Malik emailed the defendant, Barrick. everyone back home looking forward to the speech um, from the candidate. They are fo- following and excited. On May 20th, a senior member of the campaign emailed Barak a revised draft of the energy speech that no longer contained the language praising Emirati Official 1. Barrick responded that they needed to get one paragraph to balance foreign policy concerns for energy-dependent allies in the Gulf. In a subsequent email, Barrick sent the senior member of the campaign proposed language for the energy speech in which the candidate would pledge to work together with our supportive allies in the Gulf. And on May 21st, Barrick emailed the proposed text to Al-Malik. On May 26th, the candidate delivered the energy speech, including a pledge to work with our Gulf allies. The defendant, Al-Malik, emailed Barrick to praise the energy speech as amazing, noting that the candidate mentioned the Gulf allies, which is great, and the Emirati official one had watched the candidate deliver the speech. Emirati official four emailed Barrick, saying congrats on the great job today. Emirati official two and everyone here are happy with the results. Then you go on to some media appearances, um, and and we had reported on this in the Mueller uh, Mueller wrote podcast significantly, that in the media and in op-eds, Barak was touting the brave new young faces, leadership of of you know the Middle East, UAE, Saudi Arabia, et cetera. Uh, and they just kind of go through these and list them. And it, they're very extensive. Um, I mean, it's a lot. It's pages and pages. And then Section C on page 10, preparation for strategy to promote Emirati policy interests in a meeting in Morocco. Beginning in June 2016, The defendants acting at the direction of the UAE drafted materials proposing a strategy for the UAE to promote its foreign policy interests and increase political influence in the United States. On June 7th, the defendants, um, uh, well, Al-Malik emailed Barrick that Emirati official four had asked Al-Malik to work together in building a strategy moving forward regardless of the future election results to maintain strong relationships. In June of 2016 was when that was sent. Uh, On July 14th, uh, Matthew Grimes emailed Al-Malik a draft presentation outlining the strategy proposal. The presentation proposed a creation of of a guidance board through which all UAE investments are interviewed, are intertwined with the strategic vision of the country's foreign and domestic policies as well as economic goals, with the guidance of uh, the guidance board mandating that all investments in operating companies use their resources at their disposal to influence UAE interests abroad and partner with leading UAE-friendly influential figures to do so. On July 16th, uh, Al Malik emailed Barak, our friends are extremely happy and proud of a relationship with you beyond expectations. So they like it. And they love it. They want some more of it. This goes on again for pages and pages. Then we get to the encrypted messaging application. September 2016, October 2016, Barrick and Grimes, with the assistance of Al-Malik, acquired a dedicated cellular telephone and installed a secure messaging application to facilitate Barrick's communications with senior UAE officials. On September 6th, the defendant, Matthew Grimes, sent a text message to Al-Malik, stating, Barrick wanted me to let you know we need to set up meetings within the next two weeks for Emirati Official 2 and our friends. Everyone's coming to uh, Barrick asking for personal meetings with Trump, so we need to do it soon. And uh, Al-Malik said he relayed the message. On September 25th, Barrick emailed the defendant, Al-Malik, to advise that Emirati Official 1 had called Barrick. The following day, an employee at Company A E, that's Barrack's company. Emailed Barrack that Al Malik had been looking to reach you on behalf of his Abu Dhabi contacts. That same day, Emirati official four sent a text message to Al Malik stating Emirati official one and Barrack were supposed to talk today, and the Emirati official four had sent Barrack a link for a secure application that this Emirati official one uses. Al Malik then sent a text message to defendant Matthew Grimes directing him to tell Barrack that Emirati official four had sent him the aforementioned message. Al-Malik separately sent a text message to Barrick, stating they were trying to connect with us from the UAE today. It's amazing the details they have. And that they had all the messaging on this burner phone, this back channel phone. On September 27th, Emirati Official Force sent a text message to Al-Malik to inquire whether he had contacted Barrick regarding the application. Subsequently, Al-Malik advised Emirati Official Force that Emirati Official 4 should brief Emirati Official 2 ASAP. Therefore, uh, thereafter, Al Malik sent a text message to Grimes stating that Official 2 wanted to speak with Barrick. Subsequently, uh, Al Malik advised Grimes he needed to update the Abu Dhabi guys, calling them the AD guys regarding the secure messaging application. So, this is all about setting up that back channel. Then, of course, Section E is the Barrack op ed. And, and it goes in and talks about the op-ed in or about October 2016. This is October 2016 now. Uh, Barrick published an op-ed in national media re- regarding, uh, relating to the United States foreign policy. Prior to the publication, the defendant, Matthew Grimes, solicited and received input from the UAE. So the UAE helped write this op-ed. Um, and it was just praising, you know, all these Middle Eastern fellows. And that goes on again for pages. And then we have Section F, assistance to the United Arab Emirates during the presidential transition. In November 2016 to January 2016, Al Malik, Barak, and Grimes repeatedly took steps to assist the UAE in connection with transition into the incoming administration of the United States president-elect. They win. He's the back channel. Now comes the the major influence on policy, and we've talked about this extensively. I'm not going to go into too much detail uh, here, but I just want to point out a couple of different, I guess, a couple of different things in this particular indictment. So first off, it involves these high-level officials in the UAE, which is leading to the espionage light charge, and not just a regular Farah charge. Although we do call these Farah charges. Well, we I shouldn't say we. i have a mouse in my pocket. prosecutors still refer to these as fair charges. The Saudi official referred to here in, in this particular section on page 24, who Beric told the UAE he had forced the White House to elevate for protocol purposes, was the Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. So that's sort of where the the ties go there. It's on page 24. It says, on or about March 14, 2017, a senior official from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, a close ally of UAE, visited the White House. The following day, Barak sent a text message to Al-Malik advising him that he had briefed the president regarding the meeting with the senior official of Saudi Arabia and that Barak had arranged for another senior United States government official to speak with an Emirati official. The Emirati official won on a phone call. Al-Malik replied, amazing. And subsequently, Barak advised Al-Malik that he had taken care of the senior official from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and forced the White House to elevate the senior official for protocol purposes. Woohoo! That's heavy. That's heavy stuff right there. Um, another thing to point out here, there's somebody named U.S. Person 1. And it says here in paragraph 82, um, on or about September 13, 2017, Grimes sent a text message to the defendant, Al-Malik, heads up, Emirati official one is meeting with a former United States government official, U.S. Person One, an individual whose identity is known only to the grand jury. On Friday, please keep super confidential. Grimes further advised Al-Malik that the defendant, Barak and Grimes, worked hard to show U.S. Person One how strong of allies we are. Very hard. Barak spends lots of time. Uh, and then Al-Malik confirmed with Grimes that U.S. Person One was briefed by Barak a lot, on Emirati Official 1 and his vision. U.S. Person 1, I've heard guesses and I've seen a lot of guesses that U.S. Person 1 is probably Steve Bannon. And then we have, um, after U.S. Person 1, we have another congressman in the indictment who the UAE may have favored in 2017 as an ambassador, to be the ambassador to the United Arab Emirates. And some guesses around the Internet, and I tend to agree with this, is that it was Ed Royce. That appointment didn't happen, but his wife did get a job in Pompeo's State Department. So that's something to look for to. And um, Lauren Rosen, Laura Rosen points out on Twitter, the UAE wanted Tillerson fired for being one of the officials telling Trump two sides of the Gulf Cutter dispute and replaced by Pompeo as Secretary of State, which happened. That happened. Uh, and so... After looking deep into, into this indictment, and let's just go through the counts now. Let me scroll here because this goes on and on and on with these contexts. This is a huge, massive speaking indictment. And all of this information, all of these speech writing, the energy speech, op-ed, back-channel communications, all came f- directly from high-level people in the Middle East to barrack to influence the the incoming president. It's stunning. Count one, acting as agents of a foreign government without prior notification to the Attorney General. That's the section nine fifty one that I was talking about. They say in or in or about between April twenty sixteen and April twenty eighteen, both dates being approximate and inclusive with the Eastern District of New York and elsewhere. The defendants, uh, together with others, did knowing together with others, did knowingly and intentionally act in the United States as agents of a foreign government, to wit, the UAE, without prior notification to the Attorney General of the United States, as required by law, count two: conspiracy to do this. That's basically that the three of them got together to do this. Um, and then uh, they have the uh, they list all the overt acts, and and it's a long list. It's a cup. It's a, like six pages of contacts and text messages. A few of which I've gone over already. Count three: obstruction of justice. The allegations in paragraphs one through ninety-two are um, re-alleged and incorporated as if fully set forth in this paragraph on or about June 20th, 2019, when the EDNY and elsewhere, uh, in the EDNY and elsewhere, and elsewhere, Barrick together that means i feel like there's another investigation in the southern district or in another district because they say and elsewhere Barrick together with others did knowingly intentionally and corruptly obstruct influence and impede an attempt to obstruct influence and impede an official proceeding to wit a federal grand jury investigation in the eastern district of new york and here come those counts count four through seven material false statements and they list them on june 20th uh, Barrick did knowingly and willfully make one or more material false fictitious fraudulent statements and representations in the matter within the jurisdiction of the executive branch of the government of the united states to wit the fbi in that barrack falsely stated and represented to fbi special agents that Al malik um did not ask barrack to do anything for the uae and never proffered any policies or requests to barrack on behalf of the uae <laughs> we know that to not be true more material false statements uh let's find the to wit in here um, on or about June 3rd or June 20th, same day, uh, to wit, uh, Barrick falsely stated and represented to FBI special agent that he was never asked to download any messaging application. So that's the messaging application lie. Count six, material false statement, to wit. Barak falsely stated and represented the FBI special agents after the 2016 United States presidential election. Barak had no role in facilitating communications with pre- the president-elect and officials from the UAE, including then they list all the uh, Emirati officials: one, two, three, four, etc. And count seven. This is the false statement, to wit: Barak falsely stated and represented the FBI special agents that Barak did not provide any guidance or input in arranging U.S. person one's meeting with Emirati officials. A Emirati official one on September in September 2017, and that Barrack did not learn of US person one's meeting with Emirati official one until after the meeting, when in fact, as he then and there well knew and believed, Barrack advised US person one to meet with the official in September of 2017. And Barrack had advance notice of US person one's meeting. And again, we think that that's Bannon. And then that sort of closes out the entire thing so that is the big giant indictment thank you for going through it with me little by little and uh, i gave you all of the subsequent news that has happened this week with regards to this particular indictment these seven counts um and now uh i'm really excited about this it's time for the fantasy indictment league i'm gonna be indicted no it is gonna be a honey dick indicted I'm going to be a oh, They can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be a giant. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. And joining me today for the Fantasy Indictment League is the winner of this week's in Fantasy Indictment League. Uh, I believe Tom Barrick has been your quarterback for probably three years now. Everybody, welcome Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan.
3: Woo! Baby! Woo. It feels good to win. In my, I think it's like one of my only wins of our whole fantasy and diamond league segment. Hell yes. I was going for the big fish, baby.
1: You got the big fish this week with this seven count indictment of Tom Barrick for his, uh, you know, peddling. Actually, he was directed by like real high level uh, folks in the United Arab Emirates to influence policy uh, in the United States. So he is uh, in a lot of trouble and this could bring down some other people too, but I'm so excited to have you on the phone because it's been so long since you've been on Mueller, she wrote, and um, I just, I wanted to congratulate you, first of all, on your big fantasy indictment league win, but also see how you're doing.
3: (laughs) Thank you. It's so good to be back, even if it's just for a second. I love you very much. I miss you all. I got to see you in person. Mm -hmm. for the first time since all this pandemic shit and everything um well just about at least and it's yeah I've been great um working as a senior script writer which is exciting for an agency down here in San Diego just keeping me busy life is good Coco's doing great Mm -hmm. thank you everybody for always asking about Coco uh I appreciate that and Yeah, I'm just reveling here. This is a good week for all my quarterbacks. There's Tom Barrick. And then also, I don't know if you saw the news, Tom Brady, (laughs) my boy, he had a moment of redemption when the Buccaneers went to the White House.
1: He did. I was so happy. I immediately thought of you because he was kind of like wearing a MAGA hat one time and you're like, "Fuck, he's my he, like this is my team." You know, when he was on the Patriots. And and then he goes and he starts making jokes. He's like, "Well, 40% of the people still don't think I won." And Biden's like, "Yeah, I know what you mean." It was so funny.
3: Oh, so good. Yeah, it's been a good week. It was so funny, too. When the news about Tom Barrett came out, I was, like, right in the thick of a work day. And, like, one my job now is just, like, one of those where your head's down for, like, nine hours, basically. And so I, for hours, I didn't even, like, see it. And, I go on Twitter and, like, I got, like, all these new followers. Everyone's, like, blowing up my Twitter. I'm, like, what the fuck is happening? And then I look, like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's happened.
1: Uh. <laughs> so, Jordan Coburn, how does it feel to win the fantasy indictment League? What are you gonna do now?
3: Oh my God, I'm gonna go to all of the Trumpers that called us crazy and just shove it in their face. Just Google links everywhere. Nice. It's just amazing. Nice. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I know I'm sure you've already talked about this, but if I may say one last thing, I think what was so sweet about this win is that it's such. A prime example of everything we were saying for so long about how justice moves slowly Mm -hmm. here, but it does happen. And all of these people that we knew were doing all of these nefarious and just horrible things, traitors to the nation, we knew they were going to get caught eventually. And the fact that now that's finally coming around and it's finally happening in this administration, it's just so sweet in so many ways. Mm
1: it is it is and i appreciate you coming on and joining me today and reveling in your win um <laughs> w- while i have you before i let you go uh do you got do you got five picks for for your next round of fantasy indictment league
3: oh shit let me, uh, i did not come prepared i'll
1: give you some i'll give you like a smorgasbord of ideas right because gates is on the edge and his pals ingersoll and Engels – they're very soon to being indicted. I think we've got Rudy, um, probably oh, yeah. coming they're up, and in...
3: they're investigating him. Mm-hmm. We know that
1: we've got a All grip. Right. We've got a grip of Ukrainians, Russian backed Ukrainians. Remember how it was like rando Russians? We've got rando Ukrainians yeah. now, uh, <laughs> being uh, investigated in the Eastern District of New York, uh, and then we've got, of course, uh, people in the Trump Org like Ivanka and Jr. and Eric, and maybe even Melania. So that's kind of where I would pick from if I were you.
3: Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that guidance. First off, gotta do Giuliani. He is like my next big fish mm. because you know he's just entrenched in so many things. Do freaking car alarm. Sorry, I live in a city still. <laughs> but but um but so there's you know beep beep stupid. Okay, so there's gonna be like. <laughs> So many things that they can get Giuliani on, but I am going to put him 100 as my top pick. Okay, Gates also just I freak that guy fucking sucks, and he's just going to be incredibly. It's going to be the best when he goes down. Ukrainians, random Ukrainians. I got to do at least one. I'm going to do. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two random Ukrainians, and then let's do. Um, I think for my final pick, I'm going to have to do. As much as I want to do someone in the Trump family, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do DTJ. All
1: right. I got Rudy Gates, two rando Ukrainians, two rando Russian backed Ukrainians, I should say thank you thank you thank you yes and, and and donald trump jr all right well thank you very much and uh when when rudy goes down i'll shoot you a text and, and Hell- we could <laughs> have another party
3: <laughs> yeah exactly you're gonna if anything big happens re in diamond league i needed to be bombarded on all platforms else i'm not gonna see it for hours so <laughs>
1: <laughs> well thank you so much and again you know I, we just saw each other i know we're gonna see each other again soon and i'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing well and i just wanted to thank you for popping on and saying hi to everybody today
3: thank you i miss you all it was really really fun to be on i mm. hope everyone's doing well
1: all right thanks so much uh jordan coburn oh it was so nice to talk to jordan and she took all my fantasy indictment leak picks for the week so uh i'm gonna go ahead and let her picks stand i'm on board with her although i do uh, you know i guess i could do uh ingersoll and um angles and And maybe that other person who's wrapped up in the Greenberg case. I don't know. You know what? I just kind of want to let Jordan's picks stand this week, and we're just going to go with those. But this has been awesome. It was great to talk to Jordan. Thanks, Lincoln's Bible, for joining us. Uh, Next week, we're going to be following this story and and many others as they come out. I I think we're going to be seeing now that we have a friendlier attorney general um, and not as much of a blockade on these cases. A lot of things we're going to be seeing a lot of cases or hearing a lot about it, at least hearing about a lot of cases that originated with the Mueller investigation as this one did the one against tom barrack thank you very much for joining me we'll see you next week until then i've been ag and this is muller she read
2: Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right. The boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're
0: Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom.
2: Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. So be like Dita Von Teese, friends, and listen to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: MSW
0: Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct.